Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyer, your host. We've begun a new year, at least in the civil calendar. I hope and pray it is starting off well for you. In the liturgical year, the Byzantine liturgical calendar, we are starting not a new year. We are starting, of course, the month of January, which is still the unfolding of this entire season of the illumination, the manifestation, the showing forth of God. He has been born in the flesh in a manger in a cave, and now he's going to be revealed as part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we look towards the theophany, in other words, the baptism of our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ by the hand of John in the River Jordan. In between those two moments, we, of course, had the circumcision of our Lord, which we just celebrated on January 1st. And the circumcision is also part of this unfolding. Actually, it's part of the, also we can say it's part of the humiliation of God. And we say humiliation, we don't mean in a negative sense. We mean his self-emptying, his lowering himself. We mean humiliation in, in the greatest, finest, most spiritual sense of the word, a great act of love that God would actually humble himself before us. Usually, it, of course, it's supposed to be the other way around, but it is incarnation. He humbles himself. This is why we are to humble ourselves before God, because of what he has done for us. He humbled himself first. In other words, he emptied himself. So there's the, so their circumcision is actually another one of those signposts along the way of his ongoing self-humiliation, his self-emptying, his revelation. Because the circumcision was his ascribing to a law, which he himself made. Let's face it, he set down the laws for the Israelites. It's in the scripture, of course, the Old Testament. He set them down. He didn't need them, but yet he submits to them. And one of those laws was to have a child, a male child, on the eighth day after birth to be circumcised. And Jesus Christ submits himself to this. And this was the sign of the covenant between God and Abraham and the Jewish people. 
And it's interesting that that sign was chosen. We might wonder, why was, of all things, that sign chosen? Well, when we look at circumcision, it is actually the forerunner of the sacrament of baptism for us. Why? Because it's the establishment of a covenant, a promise, and it has to do with a, a cutting away, a dying away of something, and a rising to our new life. It's a, an initiation, and that's what baptism is. Baptism is the first of the three sacraments of initiation, the three steps, baptism, chrismation, and Eucharist. In the Eastern churches, we have them always in that order, regardless of age. So if you're a baby, you are baptized, you are chrismated, and you receive Holy Communion all within the same ceremony. It's three separate sacraments, but it happens within the same time, the same ceremony. It can be separated apart to a degree, but basically it's the three sacraments that enter you into the life of the Holy Trinity and the life of the church. And it happens in Eastern churches to anyone regardless of age. So Christ's circumcision is the forerunner of our baptism, but it also has a significance if you think about it and you advance forward to his death on the cross. At his death on the cross, once again, there'll be a piercing and a shedding of blood. And in some of the paintings, the paintings that are in Christian churches, especially centuries ago, they will oftentimes have that blood running down Christ to the area where his loincloth would be. It's almost as if the two areas are connected by a trail of blood. Why? Because blood is sacrificial, a wound, a cut means someone has given themselves to the point of injury, of bloodletting. There is no forgiveness except for the shedding of blood. Remember, Moses sprinkled the blood of the lamb on the altar and on the people as part of their forgiveness, their reconciliation with God. There's, so there is no forgiveness except by the shedding of blood. The shedding of blood is redeeming. And so in the part of Christ's side, which, of course, is where, in a sense, the church was born through his blood and water from his side. We say that the church is born. There at the side also was where Eve came from Adam's body. There, the mother of God stands below the side of Christ on the cross. She, the new Eve, and the blood and water as though pouring down towards her. What's happening is a consummation, a mystical consummation of a new wedding, a new nuptial mystery between the Christ, the new Adam, and the Virgin Mary, now the new Eve. And so that from that part of Christ, which has to do with love, the heart is an injury, an opening, a woundedness to love, just as Adam's side was opened and womanhood came from there. And womanhood ushers into God's order of creation, life and love. So from that piercing, that opening of Christ's side and the blood, we have everything having to do with life and love. So too, the area of circumcision has to do where a man engages in the order of life and love. So you see a connection between the two. Christ starts out with an injury, a mark, a seal in the area of life and love, and he ends his earthly life also in an area of his body that has to do with life and love, hearkening back to the creation of Eve out of the side of Adam. So circumcision is significant, but circumcision also calls us to a reminder of our own baptism, which we'll once again be reminded of in a few days at Christ's baptism, but also of our baptismal promise. Well, so what happens at circumcision? There's a cutting away, there's a mark 
of consecration, of covenant, of promise. In other words, we will die to everyone in all things and live and be promised only to God, or first and foremost to God. So, circumcision, as we celebrate it, is also a call for us to be reminded that we are a people cut apart. A people consecrated means to actually be cut apart, you know, separated, secret, consecrate. If you look at the etymology of the word, it actually means exactly that, to be cut away, to be set apart. Just as the Jewish people were set apart as God's chosen people to enter into that intimate relationship through circumcision, through that mark, so too is there that mark on us as Christians, as we are people set apart. So, Circumcision is a significant feast. It also happens to occur on the first day of the year of the civil calendar. It's actually coincidental, but we can use that. We can capitalize on that both and reality. And what happens on the first day of the year, the custom of our culture. When we look back in the old year and it's being cut away, we're cutting away from it and we're rising to a new year in which we do what? We make New Year's resolutions. So we look at the old and see how we can improve, and we rise to those promises or those resolutions. And is this not very similar to baptism, dying to old and rising to the new? So it's, it's really interesting that the civil day and the civil calendar of, of the first day of the year, New Year's Day, falls on the same day as the circumcision in the liturgical year of the Byzantine church. In a few days, as I mentioned, we will have then the baptism of Christ. And as we say in the liturgical text for this day, it says here, resplendent is the feast which has passed, but more glorious is the present day. On that day, the Magi adore the Savior. On this, the glorious servant baptizes the Master. There the shepherds sang in amazement. Here the voice of the Father proclaims him to be the only begotten Son. Yes, that's right. Theophany is actually even greater than Christmas. Of course, there had to be Christmas first for everything to happen afterwards, but it's greater in its significance, actually. It's almost like taking what happened at Christmas and bringing it to a new level of maturity, as it says here, that the shepherds sang in amazement on Christmas. That's good. But now we're hearing the voice of God himself at Christ's baptism. So you see it, we're kicking it up and what we're doing is we're revealing not only the second person, the Trinity, God in the flesh, but we're revealing him at Christ's baptism as Trinity. That's why we call it theophany, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yet one God. The Father's voice booms out from heaven, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove upon Christ. So we have the revelation of the Trinity. And this is very significant to believe and to understand and to really incorporate, really make it real to us, this idea of a God who is Trinity makes all the difference in the world and everything. As we always like to say and point out in this program, Light of the East, so much of our faith really is about seeing, seeing faith, God, reality correctly through that sacramental mystical vision. And to see through the belief in the Trinity is to see a lot of things in their true light. That's why, again, when we call this the, the period of illumination, not only manifestation, but illumination, Christ, the light of the world, comes into the world to enlighten it, to bring us light. 
Seeing through the vision of the Trinity, a God who is Trinity, enables us to understand our own desire for community, for love, for relationship. This is very important to married couples and families. This is why we want marriage and family, why it's so dear and important to us, so alluring. Even when we blow it, we make mistakes, it seems to fail, we still desire community life and love because God is community within himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if we know the origins of our desires, we can then go about fulfilling them in the right way. When we return, we're going to talk more about the theophany, the baptism of Christ. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Father Loya invites you to see the new Tabor Life website. That's taborlife.org. When you land on the homepage, you can see how Tabor Life can help improve your marriage, your life, and how to see the beauty of God's created order in your personal life. On TaborLife.org, you can book Father Loya to speak to your organization about the key elements of leadership, relationships, and sexuality, as well as speak on cultural, social, and political issues. As a renowned artist, Father Loya can speak about how art, liturgy, and prayer fit together. On TaborLife.org, you can see the many ways of how you can communicate with us. And as you look to the lower right-hand corner of the page, click on the messenger icon for live chat. And finally, Taper Life Institute is a 5013C charitable organization that earnestly needs your support. Click on the support link at the top of the page and donate. After all, Taper Life is powered by you. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. This is Bold Talk with Father Thomas Loyal. We live in strange times, full of contradictions, many of which we create and then force upon ourselves. An example. To hear the rest of this and other Bold Talks with Father Thomas Loya, visit TaborLife.org and go to the main menu and click subscribe. 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 Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyal, your host. I hope your new year is unfolding well, and we're here to help you with that by immersing you into the liturgical year. It doesn't begin on January 1st, but there is some interesting coincidences, or maybe it is providential. As I mentioned earlier in the program, the first day of the year, New Year's Day, where we make resolutions, is also the celebration of the circumcision of our Lord, both of which have to do, both in the civil observance and the liturgical observance, have to do with a cutting away and a rising to new of covenant, of promise. And we are approaching then the baptism of Christ, which we also call the theophany, the manifestation of the Trinity. Now, there is so much significance to this. That's why I mention, and the liturgical texts remind us, that the baptism of Christ, that event, is actually more resplendent, as the texts say, than Christmas itself. It like takes Christmas to 
in a sense, a more mature level. You see, what happens in the Christmas event, and we can see this in the Byzantine icon, is there is foreshadowed in there the purpose of Christmas. In other words, we don't linger just in that moment. There's a a kind of a timelessness, a kind of a present and future that goes on in the presentation of Christmas in the Byzantine church through the iconography and liturgical texts. What's happening, it's a both-and reality, once again. What's happening is we're in the present, the birth of Christ, but then it's also pointing us to and foreshadowing why this happened as it presents Christ in a sarcophagus, not just a manger, a sarcophagus, wrapped in burial wrappings with his head, his face looking man-like. At the same time, you can tell it's a baby. These things and other symbols in the icon are telling us that this babe in a manger came not just to be a baby and to remain that way, but to grow up to be a man who will suffer die and rise to save us. So we blend together, and in a sense, one move. In fact, if you really look back and look at the liturgical cycle the whole year in the church, if you look back at it, have a kind of a bird's eye view of it, it's really one continuous motion that blends together the birth, death, and resurrection of Christ. In other words, the Christmas and Advent season together with the resurrection and Pentecost season, and also Lent in between as sort of the connecting link. So there's this beautiful integration of the liturgical cycle. But during the Feast of Theophany, there's so many themes, so much significance to it. It's a manifestation, the continuing manifestation of God, of that incarnational event. And also there is illumination, but there's also sanctification, sanctification of, of, of the environment, of the world, of the earth. In the great Compline service, that's the late night service on January 6th in the Byzantine calendar, one of the prayers that we say is this, desiring to fulfill all that was ordained from you from eternity, O Lord, you receive ministers from all creation at this mystery of yours, Gabriel from among the angels, the virgin from among the human race, the star from among the heavens, and Jordan from among the waters. And in it, you have cleansed the sins of the world. O oh, our Savior, glory to you. See how cosmic this is, cosmological this is, environmental this is? Yes, the church, we were the first environmentalists. You don't have to be an environmentalist. You just have to believe and see life sacramentally and understand how it's expressed through the liturgy of the church. This prayer just mentioned all the elements of heaven and earth just as the icon, the manger scene of Christmas, does as well. Only now it says here, desiring to fulfill all that was ordained from you from eternity, not just being born. That incorporates nature as well. But now we start to actually touch nature. It really becomes sanctified now. Why? Because Jesus Christ enters into nature physically. He comes into the reality of nature, but he actually touches it as his own body touches the waters of Jordan. So we sing this, today all creation is enlightened, today all nature rejoices, those in heaven and those upon the earth. Angels and people join together in the presence of the king and his army. Let us hasten to the Jordan. Let us witness to John as he baptizes a sinless and uncreated head. Let us sing out in one voice, echoing that of the apostle. The grace of God, which brings salvation to all, has come forth, enlightening the faithful and granting them great mercy. Today, all creation is enlightened. Today, all nature rejoices. 
Notice the repetition of the word today. This is how we pray in the church. This is how the scriptures are real to us. This is how the Eucharist is real to us. They're all timeless. This is one of the fascinating things about life in the church, especially through its liturgy. See, the liturgy enters us into a kairos time. In other words, a timelessness where things are all together as past, present, and future. We don't look at things chronologically in the life of the church. The church actually enters us into another dimension. This is what is so important about going to church and being involved in the life of the church, not just doing church and obligation, but actually entering into the prayer life of the church, both East and West. We go to church, but we just don't go to church. We enter into a timeless, eternal mystery of Jesus Christ. So today, creation is enlightened. Yes, that's right. That's why we put water in the center of the church in the Eastern churches, and we bless it in an elaborate ceremony. We actually call down the Holy Spirit upon the waters, which means we consecrate the water. Not just bless it, we consecrate it. It's called a great blessing of water, but it's actually a consecration. Just as the bread and wine are changed into the body and blood of Christ in the liturgy through the Holy Spirit, so too is the water consecrated through the presence of the Holy Spirit. We call down the Holy Spirit in the lengthy, elaborate prayers. Then the priest will take a three-branched candelabra representing the Trinity. As he's saying these elaborate prayers, which are very cosmological, they talk about how God is touching creation. He takes that candelabra And he plunges it into the water three times, dousing each of the flames as though the fire of the Holy Spirit was entering that water. Then he breathes over the water three times to the breath of the Holy Spirit. Then he inserts his hand into the water and blesses it in the sign of the cross three times. And then finally, he takes a hand cross in both hands and he plunges it into the water and raises it up and down three times, making the sign of the cross while singing the appropriate hymns of Christ's baptism. And then finally, he takes that water and goes around and blesses people and blesses the church and blesses people's homes eventually and everything. So the water now, the sanctified water, is now in the presence of the church. And people come forward and they're blessed with it. They're doused with that water. They partake of the blessed bread. They've already partaken of the Eucharist. And then they drink the consecrated water. Throw inside and out your whole body The outside, the inside, is sanctified by matter, matter that becomes sanctified, bread and wine that becomes the body of Christ, water that is filled with the Holy Spirit that really becomes the Jordan water. That's right, through the liturgy. Remember, I said liturgy is timeless. We enter into that moment of Christ's actual baptism. The water in the church now becomes literally, mystically, the water of Jordan that Christ enters into. And again, he does enter into it. Rather, we enter into that one baptism of Christ, and we enter into it each year at this time, time and time again. Then the custom is to take that water, bless all kinds of things with it, our homes and so on. But then there is another blessing of water. The priest goes to a natural body of water nearby, a river, a stream, a creek, a lake, an ocean, and he blesses that water in the same way. You see, the other thing that happens is not only the sanctification of creation, but the sanctification of water, where water now becomes an instrument of sanctification. This is why we use it in baptism, why we use it to bless things, why we drink from it. You know, you're drinking in the Holy Spirit. You imagine, you understand now how holy and exciting we get about theophany. 
Imagine, you come to church, a beautiful, lengthy, rich service, but inside of you is the body blood of Christ. Inside of you is the very trinity of the Holy Spirit in the water that you're drinking, the consecrated water. Your body is blessed with, on the outside of your body is blessed now. Your entire being becomes sanctified through the liturgy of the church, through matter, things that are sanctified. So Christ, by entering into water, sanctifies all water and now makes it an instrument of sanctification, of healing. So we have illumination, manifestation. We have sanctification of the environment of ourselves and the sanctification of water. All happening because Jesus Christ humiliated himself. He deigned to take on a ritual that is meant for sinners. He did not need to be cleansed. He is clean. We needed to be cleansed. And for us to be cleansed, Christ made that possible by himself, taking on, summing up in himself all human nature and taking it with him into the waters of Jordan, cleansing it. Our baptism is a sharing in Christ, one baptism that is for all times. I hope you will have a most blessed new year and a blessed feast of the epiphany in both East and West, in both the Eastern and Western lungs of the church. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. WTN Radio for the reason that Mother Angelica founded this entire enterprise. She always saw this as a spiritual growth network. It was to be an enterprise in media that reached people in all aspects of their life. She saw this as a, a holistic approach to reaching the whole person in the middle of the world and bringing them truth and life. Raymond Arroyo thinks Catholic Radio is important. So should you. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!